Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cochileo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show who are executive producer Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, senior editor Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to the show, just go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find a bunch of information there. And now, without further ado, my guest for today is Mary Helen Hensley. Thank you for coming back on again. Hi, I'm delighted to be here. Yes. Um, yeah, the last time I talked to you was a fantastic interview. I loved hearing about... Um, the, the, your NDD, your near-death experience, and out-of-body experience, and and how it affected you. It's absolutely an incredible story that you have. Well, thank you. I, I quite enjoy it myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the new book, the audio book that you have out. You want to tell my listeners a little oh, bit about I'll- it? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, this was the book um, that I always wanted to write. And so anyone who's ever written out there and, and ended up going with a major publishing company rather than being in a, kind of an indie or self-published, you'll realize it's a very different story. Um, they, you know, they, they literally edit with ice in their veins. And so when Simon & Schuster took my first three books and created the book that's called promised by heaven which was now you know my my fifth book technically my first three books and Mm -hmm. they edited all the stories out that were about other people and i pitched such a fit you know i was so such a novice and so green when it came to publishing and all and i was like no 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 and they're like look you have to introduce people to you and who you are and i was like that's not what this is about and I fought tooth and nail and lost. Um, and so all of these fabulous stories about people's experiences, because that's, that's me. I literally am about, you know, I will sit 24 seven in, engrossed in other people's stories, mm-hmm. um, you know, and playing my part, whether it's for five minutes or five years or, whatever. And, um, and I just absolutely love being able to take part in other people's experiences, because I think it's just one of the most amazing things as human beings that we can do that we can that we can actually set foot in someone else's experience. And um, so when they took out all of these stories that I'd written about my experiences with other people, because they thought oh you know, oh, the car crash, we love the girl with the broken neck and the whole you know, your near death experience and all of this. And that was great and all that. But I think I, by the time those books were published, I was already so far removed from that experience and so deeply 
ensconced in other people's experiences because I was now, you know, you have your own miracle story and then you want to find out what everybody else's is because right. one of the things about having died is that you realize, okay, it's not because I was the chosen one and I was so blessed. It was because I was so thick and dumb when it came to realizing what I was actually here to be doing. And so I had to go through that death experience. And, you know, we have this great habit as human beings of putting people on pedestals who usually don't deserve to be there. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I was so excited about being able to share these amazing events that had happened in other people's lives, you know, whether it was past life experiences or whether it was healing from something um, incredibly traumatic, um, either emotionally or physically. And so when the time came around for understanding is the new healing, I was so thrilled because this was those stories. I gathered up all my little babies that had been thrown out onto the editing floor when they were creating my story and I brought them all home again. And so what better homecoming than to, to set them all to what I, what I'm doing currently, which is, frequency. Everything that I do is about teaching people how to heal with frequency. Awesome. That's one of the cool things that like when I was reading about the audio book and how you included some of the frequencies in the book. Um, I, I just think that's the coolest thing because then people spiritual. Um, yeah, they can uh, have the experience themselves. Yes. Uh, what gave you the idea to do that? What, literally the fact that my little babies, my, my beautiful stories about other people had been, they were left on the editing room floor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, no, you don't. Not on my watch. Um, so I said, I said, one day I'm going to write the book with all of those stories that got cut out of my own um saga because you know it's like promised by heaven tells this whole story of mary helen and you know what happened to me and the evolution of that but i wouldn't be me without my interactions with all these other people mm -hmm. i wouldn't know what i know i would have witnessed firsthand the miraculous nature of the human body um and that that it's here serving the spirit as opposed to the other way around you know um, that the body is literally created to do our bidding. It is there to tell us when we're screwing up. It is there to tell us when we're right on track, when it's, when it's harmonious and congruent. And, you know, I found these stories in other people and how they had come to that understanding. And all, I mean, some of them in the craziest, most, you know, me, I had to break my neck and die. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else might have found themselves passed out on the floor after having a flashback of, you know, of, of being a child in a school being bombed by a German bomber in World War II, right. you know, um, and someone might, might have had the revelation as they were healing from a brain tumor or, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the meat and potatoes of life. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that they ended up backed with these frequencies is because as I said, that's what I do. I, you know, I work with frequency and I teach people how to utilize frequency in their everyday life to create their own miracles, um, which empowers the individual to understand like it's, we're all special. Every single one of us, you know, it's not that somebody has 
you know, we all got different gifts and talents and yada, 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 but we all have the same capacity to heal if we want to. And so what I did was I took these frequencies and if I was, let's say, talking about um, one of my favorite stories in the book is about an elderly woman who was brought to me by her adult children who were, they were just so sick of, they loved their mother dearly, but she was always depressed and they had grown up with her depression and she like she was always there. She always showed up for him. She always did everything, but everything was, you know, she was always quiet and sad. And so they were just fed up with it. And so they convinced her, you know, they said, Oh, we heard about this healer in Dublin. And, um, they convinced her to come to me and long story short, it turns out when I touched her and what I, what I'm able to do is touch somebody and download their story, their hard drive. So she didn't, she did she was still so traumatized by it. She couldn't speak it out loud, but I got to see it in my head. And so it turns out that this woman who was the mother of six, um, she was married to a very scary man who drank too much. And when he would come home drunk, he'd rape her. And, you know, this was her husband. And so he told her that if she ever got herself pregnant again, that he would kick in her stomach and he'd kill her. And so she, and remember, this is in Catholic Ireland way back in the day. Right. And so she is finding herself in the greatest moral dilemma in, in that does she abandon the five children she already has by carrying through with this pregnancy and allowing her husband to kill her? Or does she go and do something else? And so she ended up... Um, faking a trip to England to see her sick sister and um, had an abortion there. And she had lived every waking moment of her life, not just not regretting the decision because she was there with her other five children, but punishing herself, literally torturing herself. And so what her kids perceived as, oh, mom, not again. Why are you so sad all the time? They had no idea of the story. Nobody knew. And so when I was able to relate this story to her, you know, literally verbatim how it happened, and she just sat and she watched, and I said, listen, it's time to let yourself off the hook, you know? And then I shared some things with her about um, my, my understanding of what actually had taken place when she made that decision based on what I'd seen when I was dead. And she was, you want to talk about sunbeams? She lit up. For the, oh, it was so beautiful. Yeah. And her life changed in that moment and she was 80 years old. And so wow. she'd been holding herself hostage to this decision um, that she knew she never regretted because her children got to keep their mother. Um, but she always regretted because it went against her. Um, I mean, the, the, the dogma of the, of the religion that she was um, practicing because she'd been born into it. Um, and it terrified her. And so she knew she imagined, spending your entire adult life knowing that you have made a sacrifice in order to be present for your children, but knowing that upon your death, you're going to hell. That's what she had in her head. And this is as real to her because that, that was her reality. So there are certain frequencies like guilt, fear, grief, anger, shame, self-loathing. They all carry the frequency of 396 Hertz. 
So as I'm narrating this story about our friend Aggie, this lovely soft music is playing in the background and it's playing with the gamma wave and it's playing with the frequency of 396 hertz. Now, there might not be another 80-year-old woman who had to make that same decision listening out there, but you can better believe there's a lot of women out there who ended up having to make a, a decision very similar for a variety of reasons. And we're still carrying that. And so that frequency that's as I'm narrating is now touching them as they're listening. And it's giving them the opportunity to connect with the emotion of the story and actually release the cellular memory that is now paralyzing them in their current life. Pretty cool, isn't it? (laughs) That is super cool. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, So how do you... So explain some of these frequencies and how the frequencies work on people. <clears throat> well, so if we want, let's do, let's run through the basics. Um, okay. So if you start at um, 174, 174 hertz, this is about dealing with kind of acute trauma. So like, let's say, um, and I don't mean just, oh, I just stubbed my toe off the coffee table. Yes, that can be a, an acute trauma. But there's always a reason for that taking place, because if you carry that kind of, um, you know, the adage that nothing happens without reason, that has to apply, apply across the board. So let's say you're in the kitchen and you're chopping vegetables and there's something on the radio and they're talking about American politics and all of a sudden you miss the carrot, you slice your finger. And if you actually stop and you put on the frequency of 174 hertz, not only does it have a natural anesthetic that immediately helps the body to heal that pain associated with the injury, but it will connect you in the moment to the why. Why? Why did I hear that? Why did I hurt myself? What was Mm -hmm. I drawing my attention to? And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, that guy said that blah, 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 blah. And it, triggered something in me. And so I brought my own attention to it by hurting myself temporarily. And so then you have a frequency like 285 hertz, which would be like um, chronic injury. So these would be people who'd have, you know, like your irritable bowel or diabetes or um, long-term conditions or emotional circumstances, like somebody who's had chronic depression. Um, And the frequency of 285 hertz is something that they can listen to and that brings them into a space of giving time and attention to that particular ailment. So let's say, let's say just take irritable bowel. That's something people can relate to. Um, Let's say you've had that for donkey's years. Well, you give it your time and attention when it flares up and you're cursing it and you're, you know, it's, it's the plague, it's horrible, or you're looking for the next medication or treatment for it. But, if you think about your ailments, when do they actually get your undivided positive attention? Really never, you know? And so 285 is designed to take somebody on a journey where they'll go 28 days because it takes anywhere between 21 and 28 days to reprogram the neural pathways in the brain. Mm-hmm. You take someone using that particular frequency and let's say they give they're going to give 15 minutes every single day to that irritable bowel. And so they're, they're there. I'm listening. I'm listening to you. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. And then 
you know, we're, we're so good human beings of, of going, well, look, okay, I know I shouldn't have the coffee every morning because it really upsets my stomach, but sure, look, I love coffee, blah, blah, blah. And then that's the end of it. And yet we continue to poison ourselves with something that we know is harming us. And so 285 allows you to go into a meditative state, you know, 15 minutes a day for that cycle of 28 days where you're giving your undivided attention to that issue. Okay, body, talk to me. What is actually going on here? Is it something I'm eating? Is it something, is it, is it my work environment? Is it that guy in there that really irritates me every day? And is that what's actually happening? I'm coming back after eating my, my good healthy lunch and then I sit there and it literally putrefies in my stomach because that guy keeps saying that thing to me every day. You know, it could be any number of things, but by giving the undivided attention for that 15 minutes and backing it with a frequency of 285, which works with chronic illness, it actually allows you to find your own solutions to your physical problems. So then we mentioned earlier the 396 hertz which is, you know, fear, guilt, grief, shame, mm -hmm. anger, self-loathing. And what's so fascinating with these frequencies is probably the number one thing that I see currently and not like all throughout the last year, throughout this pandemic, is people have become so super saturated that the body is having difficulty discerning between the different emotions because they carry the same frequency. So, you're seeing a lot of people who have this pent up angst from whatever. And let's say they're driving to work and they get to a stoplight and it's their turn to go and somebody cuts them off and they nearly hit them mm -hmm. and they <gasps> slam on the brakes. Right. So in that moment of you're of being completely fearful and startled, next thing they're pulling over to the side of the road and they're bawling and they're grieving the loss of their dead father. And what's happening is because of that supersaturation, we're getting a mixed signal. Those, those frequencies are crossing and those emotional states are expressing themselves kind of hit or miss. It's like Russian roulette. You know, it's like somebody says something to me that makes me angry and I'm actually now furious at myself. I'm loathing myself. Or somebody does something that, that frightens the daylights out of me. Um, and I, you know, find myself in a deep state of grief. So 396 can help move through that and help people to discern and basically clear out um, that stored cellular memory of things that are now, you know, taking us over because we're so full. We're literally, you know, so many people right now are like, a, if you can picture a full glass of water and mm -hmm. you just keep pouring water on top of it and it's just spilling over the top. And, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's quite fascinating. And then you have 417 Hertz, um, and, uh, you've got 528 Hertz, you've got 693 Hertz, you've got 741 Hertz. Um, you know, there's just, you move right on up the scale and it's just so fascinating because one kind of builds on the other. It's like 417 and 396, they're best friends. Because you've got grief, you know, grief and fear and guilt and, and all the good stuff that goes with 396. And 417 is all about releasing past trauma. So when somebody's going through an exercise of listening to those and working on the grief and the fear, you know, you don't have fear without past trauma. So when you're cleaning the body or the mind or the, or the energetic body of fear, 
you also want to go back and you want to address the cause, the root cause of it. And that's what 417 does. Um, and, and the best part of that frequency is it allows you to go back and address um, that root cause. But it allows you to take away all of the good, the meat and potatoes of the, of the experience, the wisdom of the experience without remaining plugged into it. That's what I love. You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, you've got all the good, good chunky bits from having had the trauma, but you don't have to carry um, the angst of the trauma any longer. Wow. Um, do you just use sound frequency or do you also use light? Um, light is a, a part of my repertoire on occasion. I do when so here in Ireland where I'm um, doing my doing my bits and pieces, I use light in a different way. Um, and it all it really depends on where I am, to be quite honest. Um, I know that sounds strange, but energetically, different parts of the world are different and require, and require different things. Um, so like here in Ireland, um, the way that I use light is by first going into a space of darkness with the individual and the frequency and then bringing the light on. Mm-hmm. Because this is a really unusual environment here. You know, we have like right now I'm looking outside and it's what time is it? It's not, you know, it's like 8.30 and it looks like it's midday here. Um, and then, you know, at 11 o'clock tonight, I'll still be able to see a bright patch all the way across the horizon. <laughs> um, but then in the wintertime, it'll be dark by 3.30, 4 o'clock. So, you know, they're, the way that they're accustomed to light here is different than the way people are accustomed to light, say, in the Northern Hemisphere and in America. Totally different. Um, so... Yeah. So yes and yes and yes is, is the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do use is um, a, a table called a, a it's bioharmonic technology. Right. And so all of these frequencies that I have, um, my sound guru um, Greg Papania of Sign Music. Um, Literally, I'll just go, okay, I need this, and boom, he dials it up, or he creates some beautiful piece that's like a seven-layer cake of frequency, and I'll tell him exactly what I need. And it kind of started in the beginning where I I could go, okay, you know that brain tumor? It sounds just like this. Can you replicate this sound? And um, and then it just kept growing and growing, and gosh, all these years later, you know, he has this amazing repertoire of of frequencies that I have incorporated and been able to field test um, and I run them through this table so that a person's not just getting uh, the sound in their ears so we're not just getting the, the, the bony conduction or the nerve conduction of the ears and the skull but we're actually getting the frequency through the entire body so it's like they're immersed in the in the frequency so it's like people walk out of it and they just they're, they're speechless you know, they just, they don't know, they don't know what to say. And so it's so funny because as a hands-on healer, it's like, I'm kind of replacing myself. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, and that's cool. You know, it's, it, that's all good because, you know, I, one of, one of my beefs with, with the whole guru gig is, you know, um, I have a chapter in one of my books called Jerusalem. Um, actually, I think it's understanding this book. Um, it's called Jerusalem, and, you know, how funny it is that we tend to make, gurus out of people when we actually are the gurus that we seek 
Right. And so by, by using frequency and by putting someone on the table and allowing those, them to just let go and immerse themselves in the experience, they realize, oh, hang on a second, this is me doing this. You know, and what better feeling, what's more empowering to somebody who is struggling than realizing that they're finding their own solutions, that they're opening up to a harmonic that's available to everybody, and that it wasn't just one person's special talent that made it possible, that it's something that we can all do if we learn how to use the tools. Wow. So how, how did you go from, did, did your NDE um, have any type of influence to, for you to start on a frequency type of healing? Oh gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the most amazing things about the experience was that it actually all started with this sound. So when everything was slowing down mm -hmm. and I was aware that I was getting ready to die, cause like it was crawling at a snail's pace. 75 miles an hour and just prior to the death everything just creeps down to a, you know a near halt and this is when i'm going okay how you want to do this kiddo do you, you want to stay in the body and feel it this time or do you need do you want to go out and watch what's you know and i'm like yeah i've been there done that i'm gonna i'm gonna pop out and watch this one so i literally got to watch my own body die and so at the time as soon as i made that decision and as soon as I popped up and out of the body, so I was technically out of the body, me, who I really am, before I actually got hit. Mm -hmm. That's kind of cool. So for people who have ever lost somebody, whatever way it is, you know, whether it's by natural causes or tragically, I need you to hear that part. We mm -hmm. have the capacity to exit the body before the body, before we experience any type of trauma whatsoever. So... At the time that I popped up and out, there was this sound and it sounded like a bagpipe drone. And so there was this frequency, you know, wah, 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 that I was super aware of in the background. And in looking back at it, I realized that the whole time that I was hovering above the scene of the accident, that sound was going. But when I left that space and I ended up outside of the, you know, of the earth plane, when I was somewhere else, that frequency changed. And we call it, you know, the music of the spheres. It was a, a symphony unlike anything you've ever heard before. And mm -hmm. so you're literally immersed in these sounds and these frequencies. So yeah, you know, I've spent my whole adult life chasing those sounds. <laughs> um, and I've, you know, certainly have never seen the colors that were present. They just don't exist here. Um, you know, and that's fine. And that's, you know, it, because it's in a different realm, the sounds that I was hearing, they, you know, the harmonics and the, the, you know, even the, the combinations, the chords, the dissonant tones, they don't, we don't have them here. We have beautiful music here, but we don't have what was there. And so being able to break it down into these individual frequencies, oh my gosh, I mean, like in, in using one frequency and then maybe layering it with another, you know, it's like it's the difference between playing chopsticks on the piano and Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Mm -hmm. You know, they're both tones. They're both music. Both of them are, you know, one brings chopsticks makes us happy, you know, and um, but then you come in with the symphony and it, it can transform you. Wow. You know, 
so it, um, yeah, it definitely started back then. And it was so interesting. It went even further back because I actually lived as a child next door to my piano teacher. And I hated, 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 hated taking piano. There were, there were other things I wanted to do and it wasn't piano. And my grandmother was a concert pianist and it was kind of the deal, you know, that I was going to have to take. My sister wanted to be a dancer. Um, and she's now, it, you know, in her fifties became a professional dancer because <laughs> she had to take piano too. <laughs> and, um, you know, so what was so interesting was always watching my piano teacher's frustration because I hated to practice the piano. Um, but the one thing I did love to do was she would put me in the corner and have me turn my back to her at, at the piano. And she would play any note and I'd go E, C, B, C, F, A, B flat. I had perfect pitch from a really early age. And so what was so funny, we, we still let, she's still alive and we still laugh to this day that I'm like, well, I didn't use that to play the piano, but boy, I can heal a brain tumor. <laughs> you know, I can go in and match pitch with any ailment. And when, once you're able to go in and match and synchronize tone, if that person no longer needs that for their experience, if it's, if it's now done its duty, but they're having a hard time shaking it, all you have to do is match frequency with it and boom, it's gone. Do you know? Mm -hmm. So, so it started way, way back. And then you know, of course was amplified with the near death experience and then has, has captured my fancy to now where I'm doing it in, in books and, and, you know, I'm working, I, I write some screenplays out in Hollywood and you know, work with trying to get these frequencies into, um, different work of, of, uh, of art and series to, to affect change in a positive way for the people who are watching them. Wow. That's awesome. You know, yeah, I, it's fun. <laughs> your near-death experience, though, is, was, is so much like um, what I experienced during an epileptic seizure. It was almost the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I had told you this story yeah. where I, I had a seizure, and I was just in this void of just sound and color. And, mm -hmm. And it was just nice. Like, I really didn't want to come back. And one of the reasons I even started this podcast is I wanted to figure out, like, what had happened to me and see if there's any other ways to recapture that type of experience. And, you know, the one thing that I have discovered that really, really works is the, like, uh, like for me, I just use binaural beats. Mm -hmm. but, but they work. It's amazing. Absolutely. Hemisync, you know, like we've only even scratched the surface on how that actually, um, how that actually works because, you know, so many people, body is a solid thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a bunch of particles that are, they're, they're, they're sped up so fast, um, you know, and then drop so slow that they get denser and denser and denser as they go, you know, but that, that whole holographic world, there's a whole other world out there. There's multiple other worlds out there that, some people can see because they can see frequency and light differently. And, um, yeah, it's just, oh, it's, it's just quite amazing, you know? And it's, yeah, you know, 
I just think about your experience and some of the stories that I've heard mm -hmm. of, of people who have gone from you know, not having any understanding that that was actually out there and available to them. Oh, and then all of a sudden, and yeah, well, you can't unsee it. You can't, <laughs> un, you can't unsee it. You can't unhear it. And then all of a sudden, everything that you thought to be true, like the density of the human body and the fact that you think that that's a solid thing and it's actually not, um, you know, everything changes because all that you thought you knew to be true, you have to really sit back and, and reinvent yourself and reinvent your entire perception of the world that you're living in. And the funny part, the big cosmic haha, is that you come back into that world. So I'm like walking around for longer than I haven't been with this completely different perception of how this place actually works. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so funny is that, you know, I spent the last 30 years kind of in wonder and awe. And the older I get, I'm actually becoming more human, as in I'm allowing myself because it's like, okay, you know, you got to do the whole spiritual miraculous thing and all that, you know, uh, clock's ticking, sunshine. You want to start feeling some of those human things. And I'm like, oh. And the best thing that ever happened to me to do that was, was having children, you know? Mm -hmm. And and the kids getting me to get into a space of feeling human temporarily because I, you know, I, I, I can so easily disconnect from that and look around and go, it's okay, everything's okay, you know, this all works out, it's all, it, you know, this is just an experience, it's not even real, you know, but you're, you're, you're creating memory and, and cellular, cellular memory attached to that, you're, you're changing your emotional state, you're changing your spiritual state based on these perceived realities that you have, and, you know, you can get really, really stuck in that space and forget, uh -huh. and forget to cry when something hurts your feelings, you know, or forget to, to feel that love in, in such a way that, you know, it's there all the time in the other space here, it comes and goes. And so mm -hmm. when it comes, it's such a joy. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of me and me and aging. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Um, you know, cause like, I, I guess that could be a problem like sort of, staying anchored to this reality after that experience because i know after mine um you know because it, it did change my perception but sometimes like, like like when things would happen i would almost have like an apathetic viewpoint it's just like okay well that's happening but it's not real right yeah yeah and there are an awful lot of people who have come back, um, you know, and who are experiencing lifetimes where they came in like that. It's not something that they had an experience, you know, a near-death experience or whatever um, to get to that space. They kind of came in like that. And some of those people actually struggle because they feel so disconnected from what's going on here. It's like, you know, it's an effort to get up every day and and just be because they don't really feel connected to it. They don't feel anything. And that's something for me because I'm such a, you know, psycho weirdo, excited, excitable person. Um, and everything, you know, is wah! <laughs> when I see people, when I see people who are in that space, um, I have to really 
learn to just stop and appreciate where they're coming from. You know, that's been a great challenge for me because I'm like, you know, this place is so amazing. You don't have very long here. You know, do everything you can. And and then you see other people who are just kind of like, eh. Right. Meh. <laughs> yeah, like, I guess the thing that, one thing that, that affects me the most is when I look at other people and I see people being limited, limiting what they do because of fear. You know, and you just want to say, like, just do it. Don't, don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of here. Right, right, exactly. You know? and, and, or people getting wrapped up in like all this anger and, and, and whatever. And it's like, you really don't have to worry about that stuff. Right. But, you know, when they're deeply immersed in it and they're actually feeling it, like who's having the better human experience? You who's not worried or they who's feeling it? I don't know. You know? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that one. <laughs> yeah. You're just experiencing it differently. You know, yeah. and, if you, and if you believe that you've had the experience before and you have the experience after if you choose, um, neither one is right or wrong. Yeah. But I still would prefer, I prefer being where I'm at now than where I was prior to the experience. Oh, gosh, me too. It, it's made life a lot easier to cope with. Oh, totally. Only, you know, periods of time where you get frustrated for those who really don't know, where they get so, you know, like the, this pandemic has been has been tough. You know, I was good 487 years of it. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> now you kind of like, um, you're like, come on, guys, you know, just come on. <laughs> and yeah. It's you. It's it's an effort some days to to kind of keep that vibe really high and, um, because other people's fear, it, it can be wearing. You know, yeah. it re it really can be wearing. And you know, especially when you know that maybe you're not the one who's meant to change that for them, and mm -hmm. you have to allow them to have that experience. Um, you know, and part of the reason that they're attracted, you know, that they're in your life in the first place when you're like hang on i thought i was way past all of this <laughs> you, know, you know maybe maybe because it's cyclical and you you know it's not we're not just moving you know straight up a ladder we're, we're riding a merry-go-round you know there are times where we have to go back through and pass through that space of fear and remind ourselves hang on a second you need to just you know remember that everybody is not in the same understanding of that and that doesn't mean that you understand better than than they do it means that they're deeply they're, they're deeply involved in the role that they're playing right now. And mm -hmm. how dare you, how dare you try and take that off them, you know? Yeah. Well, you're probably lucky to be in Ireland during this pandemic because here in the States with the political environment, it was awful. <laughs> oh, and well, I was there for seven months of it last year. Oh, you were? You know, watch it. Oh, gosh, I, I didn't realize that the virus was red or blue. Do you know? Like I didn't know either. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but look, listen, they're they're equally as cray over here. So, um, you know, just that the, the inconsistencies have, are, are rampant. So it's not just it's not just there. Ah, so it's over there too. Oh yeah. Hmm. Today today is the seventeenth of May, and the nation opened up, and people were legally allowed to hug again. Hmm. I'm like, are you for real? Like it. it, it did y'all actually just say that out loud? And so then, <laughs> so then, then you have, you know, we have 
something called Penny's over here, which would be like a Target or Marshall's, you uh-huh. know. And people signed up online to get their one hour, and they they were open ten hours a day. And they these were people who had not set foot out of their homes; they had not gone near another individual. And then bang, straight into Penny's, where there's a hundred people an hour for ten hours. And I'm going, what is happening here? Hmm. Like you can't you can't even you can't even believe the you know the lack of consistency. You know, we're like the guy driving around by himself in his car with his mask on. <laughs> and I'm just kinda like, Wow, you know, and and then that you can that you can want to help individuals, that you love equality, that you believe that people all deserve an opportunity, that you can be that person and believe in those things yet still not want to inject something into your body that it's not a you know it's you can't just put everybody in one corner or the other right. you know there's there's all this middle ground where you know everything can't be forced into the political model it just can't <laughs> and, and you know there are some people who are actually so delusional they believe it it can i uh, know <laughs> they definitely do you know um like, I'm lucky, like, where I'm at. Like, we didn't really shut down, so we did have that benefit. Yeah. Oh, gosh, we went to level five lockdown. And, well, see, with me being um, being a chiropractor, I was never closed. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I've been, it's, it's been business as usual um, with twice the amount of people coming in because they have time. Um, you know, so it's been a very, very busy pandemic for me. Um and, you know, so my world did not shut down at all. And all the things that were shut down, I didn't have time to go to them anyway because I was working the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's been uh, been interesting. It sure has. Uh, but it has made me think, like, how valuable, like, what, like your message and what you're doing is. Because it literally is a cure for all these things that our people are experiencing. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and the thing that keeps me grounded into the human experience is then that I have learned over many, many years of frustration and trial and error is that everybody isn't in the space where this is applicable to them in their life stories doesn't mean it doesn't work. It doesn't mean it's not there. It doesn't mean it's not available. It means that just because I want to see somebody use it and be well and be healthy and understand how amazing they are, doesn't mean that's the story they chose. Yeah. And so, you know, your own maturity comes in, you know, dropping that whole Jesus complex, thinking that you're here to save the world and that you've got to get that. I'll, I'll shout that message out and whoever whoever wants to hear it, whoever wants to use it, rock on Mm -hmm. whoever doesn't rock on you know so it's um you go through a very interesting progression with that especially when it when it comes from an experience like i had and then manifests itself into a physical capacity to literally alter people's physiology you know to go in and and help people to heal and um excuse me and you realize that there are some don't want to do that it will interrupt 
what they're currently working on, the trajectory mm-hmm. that they're on. And sometimes that doesn't involve getting well. So, um, you know, I've learned so much by, you know, once a cheerleader, always a cheerleader. You know, you, you love the underdog. You want everybody to win. And then you realize that that's, that's not what this place is about. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely not. People are just here to have whatever experiences they're supposed to be having, I guess. Yep, absolutely. You know, and, and we're constantly always trying to change the environment. You know, we see this happen. You know, we see it happen in politics. It's like, okay, I don't like this, and so I'm going to cancel you, or I'm going to, um, I'm going to go and try and change your world so that it better suits my needs. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting about that is that it's never going to happen across the board. That's not like it's never going to happen. There is never going to be a time in this dimension on this plane where everybody is agreeable to the same thing because that's not what it was built for. So this idea of, you know, everlasting peace and that we've reached the space of, you know, the golden age, it's not happening. And I just get and I get so tickled when I watch people. You know, I, I use the example constantly. It's like going to Harvard Law and getting mad at them because they're not teaching you how to cook. <laughs> you know, and then going, well, I'm going to change the school. And they're like, well, Harvard Law has been here for hundreds of years. And I'm, well, that's, but I want to cook. Well, then go to a cooking school. No, I want to learn to cook here. <laughs> you know, and we're so funny like that when we go in and we, you know, we want to change these dynamics and circumstances. It's like, you know, it's like teaching your children that everybody is going to be nice to them in the world. Mm-hmm. And then they get out there and fall flat on their faces right. because that's not the dynamic and they can't grow and learn and become stronger and, and, and find their own boundaries and find their own strengths unless somebody isn't nice to them all the time. And so, you know, there are other realms, there are other places where everybody gets along just fine all the time. Mm -hmm. That's not this place. That's not what we came here for. We came here to sharpen our our skills. We came here to drop the ego. We came here to recognize, you know, that we, we start out thinking we know everything and we leave realizing we know nothing. And that's the, that, and that's a great space to be in. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I never heard anybody say that before, but it is so true. Especially you heard it right here on Everything <laughs> Imaginable. <laughs> so I forgot. Like, I know you told me this last time, but but how did a Southern girl end up in Ireland? Symbols. Hmm. I was chasing ancient symbols. Ancient symbols. Yep. Everybody thinks I came over here and married an Irishman. I did not. You know, I was in chiropractic school, um, and the newest phenomenon that was happening post car accident was that I was seeing these symbols all the time in my vision. I would close my eyes, and there there'd be three at a time, and they were bright, flaming orange, and like I, you know, like I was too dumb to see them or something so it was like Moses in the burning bush and <laughs> symbols would appear and so I started writing them down until I realized I had this entire alphabet and what was so interesting is that you could find you know 
three or four of these would be like in Norway and, you know, maybe one or two of them would be in South, South Africa, you know, oh, one's from Alaska and, oh, there's, there's five over in Ireland and there's, you know, I was literally on a quest trying to find all of these symbols. And the interesting thing was that I was at that stage and still to my, my knowledge at the moment, the only person who had all of them collectively because they're scattered throughout different cultures. They're scattered throughout um, uh, different texts. And the symbols were an alphabet called Goet. And Goet was a, a pre-Atlantean. Um, you know, I say alphabet, but really it was a method of storage. So think about it as, as old-timey USB keys. Mm-hmm. So each symbol was like a USB key that stored holographic information and they could interlock with one another. And there were, you know, there were um, 21 symbols in a 20 second primer. And, um, you know, one of the major things that I want to crack in this lifetime is I've worked um, um, with different people and discussed with different uh, professors and scientists and, you know, about cymatics and, um, trying to crack the frequency code of each of these symbols, you know. So to me, I have them as two flat, you know, as flat 2D iconographs. When actually, mm-hmm. I think that if I was able to replicate, you know, and now that we have 3D printing, um, we're moving into, we're finally catching up to the technology that will, might allow me to do this. So once I'm able to actually see the symbol and, and create the symbol in three dimensions. I can then extract the frequency um, from the, the three-dimensional um, symbol as opposed to, you know, a, a 2D symbol that's written on a piece of paper. So that's something I'm always in, always in pursuit of. I always have that on the back burner. Wow. So, so. So that's how I got to our. Huh. So one of those symbols, and I. So what and is. I, Stayed. Well, mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. That was it. I stayed. Oh, you stayed. Okay. I like. I liked the Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do you think the, the symbols? Do you just think that they're in a matchup with frequency, or do you think that there's a deeper meaning to these fi- symbols? Because you mentioned them, them being. Th- more than 2D, but 3D. And I have heard, I think, I forget what the book, it may have been a book as I am. I'm not sure. That's supposedly a three-dimensional book that only certain people were able to understand. Hmm, interesting. Have interesting. you heard of that? What's it called? I, I believe the name of the book is The Book of Zion, but I'm not 100% positive. One of the people I believe that has claimed to have read it is... um. Von Donneken, Eric Von oh, Donneken. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to look into it. Now, this, um, you know, these symbols, um, to my understanding, because they, they're they very much so tied into um, a lifetime that I have vivid memory of, um, which was about... 13,774 years ago, give or take a year or two. Um, and it was the fall of the last Atlantean civilization. 
Mm -hmm. So there were multiple, you know, when we talk about Atlantis, Atlantis was everywhere. It's like, you know, it's like England, um, colonizing different parts of the planet. There were, there were different colonies of Atlantis and different incarnations of those colonies. And so at the time of the last incarnation, when there was a great celestial event, um, I have vivid memory of working as more or less a librarian. Um, and my purpose was to storehouse these symbols. And it was so they wouldn't get lost in the catastrophe. It was like they were imprinted in my in my own personal records, in my own vibration, in my own frequency. And so the very first memory I had, the very first flashback to that lifetime happened when I was five years old at Virginia Beach. And, um, um, you know, I almost drowned. So my father said, and I didn't almost drown at all. I just got lost and I happened to be next to the beach. And so they thought I almost drowned. But when he started talking about it, I had this incredibly vivid memory of this particular lifetime. So I'm actually writing my opus, um, my, my grand life's project. Um, and the main character, Beset, is actually me. It's, it's a memory of that lifetime over 13 and a half thousand years ago. And so these symbols were part of that memory. And so they act as, like I said, USB keys or, you know, they store information about civilization prior to that last incarnation. Mm. So this could be a lot of information. It's a lot of information. It's millennia of information, exactly. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, as I write Apotheosis and I turn Apotheosis into, of course, it's going to have to be a visual experience as well. So I'll, you know, I'll end up writing it into a screenplay so that I can incorporate all the frequencies. It's so funny that when, when you read it, it, you know, I've written 10 books at this stage. And so you can always hear my voice and there's, you know, there's always an element of comedy to it. And there's a, this book, you would go, oh, she stole that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't sound like me at all. I had to even look up some of the words because it was like it was just coming through me. And they were words that I would never use in normal conversation. And um, it's really interesting the way that book is, is, is writing itself through me as opposed to through my limited uh, vocabulary and dialogue as Mary Helen. You know, mm -hmm. if I have a certain style and a certain sound in this book, this, it sounds nothing like me, huh. which is really interesting because it's being, you know, it's being written from somewhere else. So it's like you're channeling it. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I trust very much. So the information is so detailed, the descriptions of the, you know, of the, the way things were done and the way, the way people lived at the time, like, I don't even think my my imagination is that is capable of that vividness. Can you give me you an know? example? Um, yeah, when you know, like it, in the opening, when it's talking about the birth of this child, me, uh, because it, it it opens from her death in this great wave um, that was kicked off by this celestial event that they knew of 
several years prior to it reaching the Earth plane. Um, so it was, you know, explosion of a supernova and the 13, you know, that we had 12, 12 planets in the solar system and that supernova exploded. And so the solar system that we're currently left with is, is the aftermath of that explosion, including our asteroid belt, including the fact that our moon used to be much smaller um, than what it is now because that, that old moon that allowed us to travel across the world because there wouldn't have been the gravitational pull um, was replaced by a chunk of planet, you mm -hmm. know, and whether it was Tiamat or whether it was, you know, an, another planet um, that, you know, that's, that's how we got to where we are now. And so she's, she's literally recounting in that space between her life is beset. And, um, you know, so the description of there's a, you know, there's a scene where there's um, a Gabriel who's heralding the birth of, a, of, of this child is coming through town and the townspeople are calling Calais Patum Cree, which means, you know, we are one. And in what language, I don't know, but there it is. And, um, and the description given of the origin of, of, of where we get a birth crystal or birth stone and how that, you know, how that actually happened. And then that main power crystal um, that source energy of this particular civilization, which you know, which we call the maxim, and um, how it operated and what it looked like and what the houses look like, and it's just so detailed. And I'm just going, oh yeah, this is okay. And then I'll go back and I'm like, I'll read it and I'll go, did I write that? Because I, it's like I don't remember writing it, and I certainly don't remember making it up. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm just like, rock on, this is fun. You know, because it's, it's like for me, when I go back and read it, it's, it'd be like you going back and reading it for the first time because I don't remember any of it. Wow. So it's, it's a whole different writing experience for me because everything else has been like experiences from my lifetime and patient stories and all this kind of thing. And this is so cool because it's like it's writing itself and then I get to go read what I wrote. Hmm. I've never made that connection between the birthstone and the crystals of Atlantis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they you, you give me a whole new, you gave me a whole new thing to look for now. Yeah, so this thing is, you know, this maxim, this this source power crystal that would, you know, that powered the entire region. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it talks about the different regions of Atlantis and, um, uh, so this power crystal, you know, under the source crystal, around the base of it, there's thousands upon thousands of crystals that are like being charged in its presence so in that moment when that soul incarnates into that body boom in that moment that that crystal that max that maxim crystal lights up and it takes one crystal that's at its base and it infuses it with energy but what happens into that is that that child's history the incarnation of the spirit that's going into the body of that child, the history is now in the birth crystal. So that birth crystal is literally programmed in that moment at that exact stellar alignment um, with that individual's distinct history. So a birth stone or birth crystal could never be replicated. There'll never be two the same. So, you know, over, over the centuries, 
the millennia it's gotten watered down to, okay, February is purple, February is amethyst. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but the origin of that was something actually very, very different. And it was something that, the, that the, was put on the child at birth and it stayed on their body until death. That was never removed. Do you think any of these crystals still exist where we could find them? I'd say they probably do. You know, when you see something similar to, like, you know, when you see a Lemurian seed, which, you know, is a, a quartz that looks like it has these, like, lines. It, it's it's like a, it's like, it looks like a CD on the inside with mm-hmm. these lines. Um, and, you know, they say that they're, those are record keepers, that those have stored history. Um, that they were used and like, why is that any stranger than thinking, you know, if you look at the innards of a, of a computer or a, a microchip, why is it so strange that anything could be storehoused by, a, you know, an ancient civilization into, into a crystal? Do you think that one main crystal that charges all the other crystals still exists? I do. I'd say, I'd say it does. Yeah. And I'd say probably... You know, with the rise and fall of the oceans, the way that it has over the years, you know, anytime you get into a situation where you look at sort of like that Bermuda Triangle phenomenon where you've got crazy magnetic energy, um, you know, go look at those places where there's still something, um, you know, God only knows how deep it is, where it is, and that it's still active. Um, I mean, there's so many amazing secrets to this place. Um, you know, and so many little strange things that happen here. You know, I had an incident the other day in the house and I was like, this is crazy. Um, I've been doing a whole lot of DIY around the place. And so there's nails everywhere. And, um, I went to pick my glasses up and this whole pile of nails was hanging off my glasses. And I'm like, what the heck? What is this? One nail was stuck to the glasses and then another nail and then another nail was stuck to that one and that one. They were magnetic. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And then I was getting ready to go somewhere and, and I keep all my jewelry. It's like my artwork on my bedroom wall. And so it hangs on these metal racks and I went to take something off the rack. It was stuck. Like it was magnetized to the rack. And so I'm like, huh. So then I go into work and the lady who makes jewelry for a living and knows that I'm just, you know, I'm the queen of all weirdness. And she's just like, I have a question. And I said, yeah. And she goes, this weird thing happened to me um, over the last 24 hours. I'm putting my jewelry together and the clasps are all stuck together like they're magnets. And I went, yup. So, you know, everything around here isn't always the same. It does, it, you know, we go through these changes. There are things that are happening. Um, there's any number of reasons why that could have happened. But that's what's so cool about this place is that we don't even begin to know everything about how it all works. And so, you know, could there, could that still be on the planet? You better believe it. You know, if, if, if the great pyramids were, were ever energy conductors, can they still do that? They don't do it right now, I don't think, but you know, could they? Why not? If you knew how to turn it on, if you have the right key to start a car. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what makes, you know, that's what makes life really fun for us is knowing that all that stuff is still out there. Why do you think we kind of forgot? I mean, obviously, I think, you know, some of us are still, some people were probably, you know, descendants or survivors of Atlantis. 
why do you think the technology sort of was forgotten? Because this place, this place rises and falls like a wave. Mm-hmm. You know, we ebb and we flow, and our and we develop. You know, and I'm like, you know, here we are, and we think that that we are at the the height of our intelligence, and then you, you know, you see some chick putting gasoline into a garbage bag into her boot because there's a crisis in America. Do you know? Um, you know, it's like we we're simultaneously really smart and stupid, and that's what's so cool about this place is that there are we're never completely wiped out, and there are traces of us all around the place, and like these little clues are left. Like it's never like the whole slate is wiped clean. Right. And I think that's what's so fun. It's like we leave these little clues, these little mysteries for ourselves because we've got a great sense of humor and a great sense of adventure. You know, but you don't want to come in knowing everything. That, that kind of defeats the purpose of the game. So, you know, you come back in and there's that part of you that believes, you know, there's some people who, like, they, they think what you and I are talking about right now is complete and utter cack, absolute nonsense. And then there are other people who live by it, mm-hmm. you know, and we exist in the same thing. And we, you know, the, the same laws of gravity apply to us and our bodies require food and water the same. But then that's kind of where it stops, you know. How we feed our souls and how we how we spark our creativity and imagination might be completely different, and so we leave these clues. And there are those who can't, you know, they're in a space where unless it's hard and true science, and you can't prove it to them right in front of their face, and that's it, they don't believe it. Hmm. And then there are others who, you know, the whole experience is in the quest. It's not the end destination. It's not what they discover. It's the actual, you know, it's mounting up on the horse and going on the quest. Wow. Interesting. I'm completely obsessed with Atlantis now. I have been now for Ooh, a little while. If you, um, I'll, I'll email you this opening chapter just to mess with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I, I'm literally like, like I have a friend who's like really into archeology span and like, I'm thinking about just like going and looking for, since I suspect that it's somewhere north near North America, if it not it was once a part of North America. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think Ireland was. You know, I think part of my draw here is I think Ireland was the land bridge. Oh, you know? Doggerland. I, I I think Ireland was a, a bridge to to Europe that connected at mm-hmm. one time. Um, Atlantis. You know, that's why I've, you know my next stop where. Where are you going on your next adventure? Adventure, the Azores, you know. Because <laughs> I think that there are bits and pieces above the water that, of Atlantis that are still there. The tippy tip tops of mountains uh-huh. that are these tiny little islands, you know. Um, and all along, get you know, go look at the west coast of Africa. Da, da, da. Oh yeah, because you know, the, talk- the Eye of Africa. Yeah, they're always talking about the you know the ring. Do you know there's there, there's the exact same thing exists here in the United States in of all places Louisiana. It's called um, Poverty Point. Google it and look at the picture, and it looks just like the Eye of Africa. Oh, really? It's crazy. Ooh. That's why I agree with you so much about these clues. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because, because there's, there's no way it's coincidence. No. Oh, gosh, no. Absolutely not. 
I'm looking at this right now. Uh-huh. You found it? Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Like, And I didn't know about this until like a month ago. I'm like, how could I not have known? <laughs> it's like right there, like five hours from where I live. Get out. Look at that. That's so cool. It's almost exact. Wow. There's no way that's a coincidence. Yep. <laughs> you know, but again, I think it's a way of of replicating a city. Mm -hmm. You know, but there's not just the one. That's what I think too. Mm -hmm. I think it was either a way of trying to replicate it, or a way of like just creating a model so that people a, wouldn't forget a monument to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To keep, keep to keep it in people's memories until it was ready to be reactivated again. Mm-hmm. That's mad. <laughs> and it's funny because like nobody even talks about that place. I, I had no idea it was there. And I'm sitting here going, ah! I just drove through Louisiana on my Route 66 trip last summer. Ah, you could have stopped here in Alabama to visit me. <laughs> It's crazy, though. That's just right there under my nose. And one of the things that makes me think about this, too, is, you know, you know, I mean, Bimini Road is just sort of like right off the coast of Florida. So right. it's possible that the Gulf of Mexico didn't exist and it was all one large landmass. Oh, I, I can buy that one. And maybe that's where the impact happened. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So many questions. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but I, what I'll do is I'll email you that chapter um, for wait. that opening. I think it'll it'll tickle your fancy. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Um, so what else, what other stories do you have in your new book um, that are really... Um, I don't know. Interesting. Well, I mean, I'm like, sure it's all interesting. So I, I, I can't like think, to think they're all interesting. Yeah, I can't. I just can't there's, think of the right word. There's, you know what? There's a fun <laughs> section in there called the Queen Scary. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a huge fan of the Queen Mary in, in Los Angeles, um, and you know I try to stay on it as often as I can just because it's it's so much fun and I really connect to the kind of old old school old Hollywood Art Deco vibe that's going on, but also because, you know, it's it's supposed to be one of the most haunted places in America. And what's so interesting is I had a really, really crazy, um, crazy thing happen there. And I had an explanation given to me about <coughs> why certain places, um, are, are you know, haunted or, you know, or there was that kind of activity going on there because it really bugged me the very first time I ever toured the boat. And we saw there was two things they were talking about. One was this little girl who drowned in, drowned in, um, in the swimming pool that was on the boat back, I don't know when it was, the 40s, I think, 50s. And then there was this other story about this 
crew member who they during a drill a watertight door closed and literally severed him in half and so that many people report seeing these and then of course you have you know this was a favorite haunt of ha uh, in life of winston churchill mm-hmm. and so people report all you know in the churchill suite they'd smell smoke and they could cigar smoke and and all this stuff and i was like you know that really like we all have our different areas of interest and all you know me for it's healing and you know i'm speaking of dead people's dead granny and you know finding out what's actually going on in their life and uh, you know that's what kind of my realm and then i have other people who deal with angels and there are people who deal with whatever you like we all have we all have our areas of, of great interest and so i have to say the whole kind of haunted place was just never really like i'm you're somebody talking to somebody who's been seeing dead people forever and so it was kind of like it was not really a big buzz for me mm-hmm. you know that's why I like horror movies when I was a kid they never bothered me because I'm just like yeah it's not what it looks like um you know <laughs> so um I got on the ship and it really bugged me how I watched how they were telling these stories but then the people who were listening you know and this little girl and the big red bow in her hair and she's um you know, that she's trapped here, you know, that she, that the concept that she died here and that now she's stuck here and that many people see her. And, you know, I was like, I, I don't get that. That's not like my, that's not like what I experienced this world to be like. Um, you know, no, that's not to say that mine is the only way to experience it, but it just, the idea that she was stuck yeah. on, the, on the Queen Mary in Long Beach, just, I was like, really? So I was getting out of the shower on the ship one day. This is all in the book. And what was so fascinating is I had, I'd leaned over to towel dry my hair. And so, you know, I had a towel wrapped around me and I had one towel over my head and I'm drying my hair. And then I pulled my hair back up. And as clear as day, standing right in front of me, is an, it's like an apparition, a hologram of Winston Churchill. And I'm like, are you for real? Like, could this, be any cheesier like <laughs> that's, that's what i'm thinking i'm going come on man do you know like really and so i went all right whatever you are whatever whatever reason you're presenting yourself to me this way um i got some questions and it this is bugging me that they're profiting from these people stuck in this energy or vibe of this ship this doesn't make sense to me you know i've always been dealing with people in the death process and watching them go on and um you know not not those who are trapped and so i like i have wanted some answers and so he gave me the most incredible explanation and he said you know you understand how life goes on after the physical body dies and that we're you know, that we retain all of our feelings and memories. And what, you know, when we're still in the, in the realm of being able to incarnate on earth, we haven't moved on elsewhere, that we're still in the glass bubble, you know, that we, we retain our memories mm-hmm. and, and feelings attached to those experiences that we've had as human beings. And I'm like, yes. And he goes, well, remember, you know, there's some of us who really loved and enjoyed this experience and wanted to see this place continue on. And after, you know, after the war and moving into the Cold War and then when the ship was docked and it was start kind of becoming dilapidated, 
there were those of us who wanted to see it go on in the very same way that you love taking your kids to Disney World. We wanted to create a space where things could happen here that would bring, bring people great joy and mystery and fun and because this is a place that we in life loved. And I'm like, okay, I'm with you. And he goes, he went straight for, straight for the jugular. He was like, you understand frequency? And I'm like, yes. And he goes, people come in with a frequency of expectation. And so he used the example, my agent was with me at the time, I think the first time I was on the ship. And she's really, really funny. So, like, for somebody who's all into the metaphysical, she can't stand spooky stuff. <laughs> she hates it, right? So, and she's an older, very older, very elegant woman. I mean, she's just a hoot. Maraid is her name. And so we get onto the ship, and she's like, I am not tolerating anything that is spooky, supernatural, whatever. Like, she just was not there for that experience. Not having it. She was like declaring this, right? <laughs> and funny enough, in the two weeks we were on the ship, nothing happened. Like literally nothing happened to her. Like the rest of us saw all sorts of stuff. She saw absolutely nothing. So he was explaining about this frequency of expectation that it's like it trips a switch. So you go down to the boiler room and somebody's talking to you about the, you know, the maintenance guy who's down in the boiler room who, you know, misses the door, on, you know, when they're, closing it in a water, in a drill, in a safety drill, and he gets severed in two. And you're down in that environment, and you can hear the pipes clanking, and it's dark, and it's, and it's all, and so you've got this frequency of expectation. And you literally trigger a holographic experience. And so what you're seeing There's is this so dude, it doesn't it? And I was like, of course, of course. So you're not seeing the spirit of the guy trapped. You're not seeing the poor little girl who drowned in the pool walking forever up and down the hallways. You're triggering a hologram. Wow. And it's, and it's interactive, you mm -hmm. know, because remember, we're not stuck in the three dimension now. Um, so it's interactive in that it can be different for different people. You might trigger the little girl hologram, but mm -hmm. she can interact with you. She can laugh with you, follow you down the hallway. The next person might see her poking her head out from the door next to the swimming pool. Do you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's how it works. It made so much sense, which is why some people have an experience and other people don't. That's brilliant. And it I was like, that is sense. so cool. I know, and imagine Winston Churchill telling you, huh? Yeah. And um, it was just so cool. And so it really changed um, uh, you know, the way that I saw you know, haunted um, houses or haunted properties or, or places where, um, you know, because in my line of work, I've gone to many places that were just sitting on uh, very damaged energetic ley lines mm -hmm. where there was some freaky stuff happening, you know, like those stuffed animals or mama, you know, talking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like I've seen some crazy stuff, but also it helps me to understand how exactly in this circumstance where, you know, you've got a property that's haunted or whatever. Um, and that's kind of how it makes its living, how it sustains itself, um, how that actually works. It's like a holographic Disney world. I should have known. I know. I should have known that. I should have figured that out like 
Isn't that so obvious? 20 years ago. I know. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, Winston Churchill. Can I put my clothes on now? You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that one's fun. So, oh, you know, one. so the frequency that's playing behind that, you know, as you're, um, uh, you know, you've got the 639 harmonic of communication where you're mm -hmm. listening and you're hearing something. And rather than trying to overpower somebody with your opinion of how something works, you're actually really listening and absorbing. And so that's the frequency that plays in the background of that story. So, because you're quite possibly opening up a, a, a new possibility for the person who's listening to it. Okay. Does that see how that works? Yeah. 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 It, it makes so much sense that I feel, I feel stupid for never figuring that out. Not at all. <laughs> I think I felt. <laughs> <laughs> like, all these years of investigating paranormal stuff. <laughs> I know, right? You know. It's amazing, and it makes just so perfect sense. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that everything happens that way, but in in many ways, it's you know, it's like somebody showing you a new way to do something. It doesn't mean there are not other ways to do it, but right. this is a way that maybe you had never considered before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I overlooked the obvious. Yeah. <laughs> That's classic. Isn't that cool? That is very cool. Yeah, so that's one of my favorite things because, you know, the experience then of going back, because I treasure and adore. My mom just turned 92 last Friday. Oh, wow. And she is priceless. Like, she's always dressed to the nines. She's, you know, drives her little Jeep. She's just in, she's in great health, and she's got a wonderful, sparkly, bright, bubbly, fabulous personality. She's amazing. She was, you know, married to my father for over 60 years. She was his wing woman. You know, he was a minister, and... You know, and then when he died, everybody thought she was going to go with him. And she was like, are you kidding? I got stuff to do. You know? <laughs> and so she had that wonderful experience with him for all of those years. And now she's getting to be Helen. And um, it's been really fun. And so she couldn't wait to get on the Queen Mary. And it, my mom's the kind where, like, if you put cheese and crackers in front of her, she's like, oh, isn't this the most special thing? And she just absorbs every experience. You know, she's just so delighted to be there and it's real. So she couldn't wait to get on the Queen Mary and see something. So unlike my agent who also happened to be there on this, this particular trip, because I was speaking on board and um, she happened to be in the cabin across from us. And so, you know, she's like running this imaginary around her door going don't even think about crossing this threshold this place is protected by angels not happening right and here's my mom in the other cabin going bring it on i want to see something you know? <laughs> so it's so funny we walk in and i've had this experience on my very first trip where i was awakened out of my sleep by this weird hologram thing and it was a jewelry thief and this guy is literally telling me about how he stole he's holding an image of these diamonds that he took on a trip back in the 1930s he stole on while he was on board and i was like okay it's four in the morning is that is that it is that the whole story and it was like he he awakened me just to tell me that 
And I'm like, this, does this go anywhere? Is there, and he was just tooting his own horn, you know? And so it was such a funny encounter. So when I, of course, I told my mom about that story and she was like, oh my gosh, I hope we see something like that. So we walk into our cabin and right in front of my mom's eyes, I'm standing there, look at her. And this, I had this, I always wear these kind of funky big necklaces and stuff. And the necklace, my mom says it looks like it was ripped off my neck and thrown across the room. I literally walk into the room and I was like, ooh, I wonder if my jewelry thief is here. And so I go across. My mom, she had flown from, from Virginia and she wanted to take a shower. And so she gets, um, you know, in her little, her little gown and her little night, you know, her little shower cap. And um, I go across to have a cup of tea with my agent just literally across the hallway. And as soon as my mom goes into the shower. So next thing I hear this very excited, oh, oh, oh. And so I'd been sitting with Maraid, my agent, the whole time. And I come back in and I'm like, mom, are you okay? And she's like, oh, how did you do that? And I was like, do what? And so my mom is always bejeweled. She's, you know, she's, like I said, she's always dressed and always has on her earrings or necklaces. And, mm-hmm. you know, she, she looks like Betty White and um, <laughs> she's so cute. But so she gets out of the shower and her jewelry pouch is open on the bed and everything is taken out and stacked one thing on top of the other in the shape of like a Christmas tree. And she was like, why did you do that? I said, mom. Ask Maraid, I have been over there the whole time you're in the shower. And she goes, she has. And so here is mom's jewelry just stacked on top. Oh, well, my gosh, she, that was better than winning the lottery. She was beside herself and so, so excited. So, you know, at the tender age of 90, when this happened, she was able to still walk around the bowels of the ship and she couldn't wait to do the ghost tour. So we walk around and we get down into the the boiler room and I'm just kind of standing the guy who was given the tour was amazing he was so much fun he was you know dressed in his captain's suit by day and he told us that he worked in a drag club by night <laughs> and my, and he adored my mother and they just got got on like a house on fire so he was kind of she was holding his arm and as they walked around and it was so funny and so he's telling this story and we're in the boiler room and my mom goes whoo and she turns and looks at me, and I'm not even standing next to her. And she goes, did you just grab me? And I went, no. And she goes, oh, now it's kind of dark down there. And she goes, are you sure? And I said, Mom, I'm standing over here. And, you know, the guy's looking at her, and he's like, are you okay? And she's like, something grabbed me. And he was like, ha, ah, you know, thinking, whatever. This isn't part of the ghost tour. So we finish the tour, and we get upstairs, and my mom had her little summer white outfit on, her little trousers and her little white shirt and her little white cardigan. Well, we get up and she sits down and the cardigan had been hanging over her arm. Well, we get outside and it's a little chilly. So she goes and puts it around her and there's this gigantic black oily handprint on her white cardigan. And she was, that was it. All her Christmases had come at once. She (laughs) was so excited and it's so funny because that thing hangs in her closet in a plastic bag it will never be cleaned and she 
you know, she gives, she's in all her little book clubs and all this. And anytime she does one about the Queen Mary, out comes the cardigan with the big black greasy handprint on it. And so, you know, I tell all the stories about what happened there in, in the book. And I actually, I really quite like the Queen Mary section because it's just, it's so fun, but it's unexpected because it's not, you, you know, you kind of go through these little ghost stories and then all of a sudden, bang, Winston Churchill rocks your world. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I know. Cool, huh? <laughs> that is really cool. Your mom sounds like a trip. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She is amazing. Well, see, mom is so excited because, like I told you before, remember, my dad was a minister. And so, like, I was very difficult for them to digest. You know, you got I'm talking to dead people and, you know, doing all the weird stuff since I was a child and then die in the accident and the whole nine yards. But the guy that I talk about all through my book, um, my my confidant, my, my own guide is my grandfather judge. Mm-hmm. And he, he was a surgeon from Kentucky. Well, that was my mother's father. So it's like her time has come and she gets to celebrate um, all of the, you know, because judge, judge did some very strange and miraculous things that nobody knew about until he died, you know, but funny enough, he worked with Edgar Casey when he was alive. He used to, they used to consult together because, oh. you know, that judge was a surgeon and Casey would speak with him about things, you know, different cases. And, and, and my grandfather would go to Virginia beach and, and it was so interesting. And so, you know, mom's really proud of all of that, but you know, when you're the Southern Baptist preacher's wife, we don't really like to talk about spooks too much, you know? Um, Cause it, you know, we're not quite sure how that fits into the whole, the whole agenda of Christianity. And, you know, of course, they couldn't figure me out. And, um, you know, what, what was I was I a gift or possessed? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so the idea that, you know, that she gets to be involved in all this and, and especially because so much of what I do is based on the guidance I get from Judge. Wow. Um, you know, I yeah. just I just interviewed somebody <laughs> like right before you and it was about Edgar Casey. And huh? and um, Edgar Gladdy, um, Edgar Casey's secretary had a son who Edgar Casey befriended, and sort of like took on as like a little protege, sort of. Uh-huh. And he had told him that he was the reincarnation of Thomas Jefferson. Oh yeah. And, and apparently the guy's still alive. He's like eighty five years old. I've I've spoken to him. Oh, you know him? Yeah. Wow. Cause I, I thought that was my, my episode before this one I was just doing. Oh, you're kidding. That's no. So and, no, because I don't want to get him on my show. Yeah. <laughs> just to uh, just to make it interesting, I waited to call him until I was actually at Monticello. Okay. You know, his, the home place. Yeah, apparently uh, where he lives, okay. he, can, he can see it from where he lives now. Yeah, so I waited um, and called him from there. We had a good old long conversation. And, um, yeah, isn't that funny? Wow. Yeah, because I do a lot of work for, you know, obviously I haven't been back in the last year, but I would do my all my book launches at the ARE. <laughs> Small world. Yeah, it's it us. It's funny because every time I talk to you, there's some weird coincidence. Like last time I was talking to you, you were like, oh, you got to talk to PMH. You got to talk to PMH. And, and I had like already booked like PMH that day. 
I know. How funny is that? It's funny. Yeah. Like synchronicity. I know. That's hilarious. <laughs> mm. So before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you? So uh, MaryHelenHensley.com. It's all there. I would have never guessed. <laughs> the, the one thing in my life that's e- easy and obvious. <laughs> well, I'll post a link to your website. and I'll also post a link um, to your books on Amazon. And um, I'm looking forward to reading that first chapter. Okay. Don't forget, email me your the address you want me to send it to. Okay. Oh, you need my mailing address? Your email. Oh, you don't have my email? Is that what? Everything Imaginable 2020. I see, I have, I'm only like 867 emails behind, which is really good for me right now. <laughs> I'll email you after the show. Everything. I know it's not popping up. Yeah, just email me and I'll send it back. All right. I'll do that. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you for being on today. And I will post oh, those. Oh, my gosh. My pleasure. There's my, my alarm clocks, Mr. Peabody and Sherman, going off. Do you hear them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mine are about to go off soon, too. <laughs> <laughs> they know when the time is up. Exactly. They're like, okay, that's enough. Well, they got to go out and do their business, probably. That's it. That's what it's looking like. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being on. And just hang on one more second while I play my outro. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.